you can keep your Bibles open to that passage as that is where uh, the message from this morning will come from. So would you pray with me and let's ask God to open our hearts and minds to his word. Father, would you now take the reading and the teaching of your word and would you bless it? And would you use it to bear in us spiritual fruit that will last to eternity and it will bring glory to you, good to your people, and growth of your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the first ministries that we had at Ambassador when I moved here some 24 years ago was a t-ball team. Even before we started meeting as a church or even had any small group gathering, uh, I decided to sponsor a t-ball team in the Apex Rec League. And I, and even a couple of folks here, I think Peter was one of the first coaches of that t-ball team. And, and you just got to love t-ball. You know, the kid hits the ball, and he takes off running down first base, and he keeps on running out into right field. Or maybe he hits the ball and takes off to third base and starts going backwards around the field. I remember one time we, were, we had practice, and I was trying to, to instruct one of these kids in a batting stance, and... And I turned around, and there was this haze over the field, and, and the rest of the team was out there building sandcastles in the middle of the, of the infield. You know, of course, we, we laugh at this, knowing that these youngsters are just starting out. They're just learning the game. So we place coaches and parents at almost every position in the field to, to gently and hopefully lovingly instruct them in the basics in order that they will begin to understand and they will begin to enjoy the game and they will begin to grow in the skills uh, to play it as it's meant to be played. Well, many years later, I also went on to coach a high school baseball team. And if a player on that team had hit the ball and run through first base and just kept on running out into right field or started off for third after he bunted the ball down the line or if uh, one of my players sat down in the middle of the infield and started you know, drawing things in the dirt in the middle of the game, my and hopefully the rest of the crowd's reaction would have been a bit different. Why? Because at that point in the player's development and at that level, you expect a certain measure of growth. You expect a certain measure of maturity in the understanding and the practical skills of the game. Now, that doesn't mean that crazy things don't happen at all levels of sports. Like some of you may remember a long time ago when Jim Marshall, Hall of Fame linebacker, returned a fumble all the way the length of the field the wrong way, scored a safety for the other team. But even then, it's painful to watch. We, we look at that and we just shake our heads and go, oh, how embarrassing is that? The reality is there's different levels of growth and maturity in athletes and, and different expectations based upon that growth. And what is understandable, what is expected, uh, what is even appreciated on the t-ball field is unexpected and unacceptable in a big league stadium. And that's true in a lot of areas of our lives as well. Well, Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, is concerned about growth and development of the church. Not like we might think of church growth in terms of, of more numbers or bigger budgets or programs, but in what we often call spiritual growth. 
Growth in understanding, growth in, in the embracing the gospel as the wisdom and the power of God. And in, in ongoing appropriation and application of that wisdom and power in the way we live our lives and how we direct our lives. Growth into Christ's likeness and the goal of that being to, to be welcomed into his glory, inducted into the hall of faith with that great cloud of witnesses whose lives testify to his wisdom and power. In other words, the, the, the gospel, the, 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 the cross, has a past, present, and a future implication that corresponds to this process of growth from being born again to being mature saints, from being a planted seed to a harvested fruit, from being the foundation laid to the, to the finished building. From the starting line to the, to the crossing the finish line and, and receiving the prize. We are saved from, penalty, from penalty, sin's penalty by Christ on the cross and his, his death on the cross. And we will be saved from, from sin's presence in glory when he returns. And in this present life, those in Christ are being saved from sin's power as we grow more and more in grace as we bear the fruit of righteousness, as we are built up in love, as we lay aside sin and run the race with endurance, looking to Christ who is to us, as Paul has already said, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of these analogies have, have growth, have progress, have a, a movement towards, a progression towards maturity. And it's this practical, powerful gospel growth our being equipped together, as we've been saying, as saints to grow up into maturity in Christ, who is our head that, that Paul concerns himself with in these early chapters and, and really on throughout the letter as well. And his concern here at the beginning of chapter 3 is that the church at Corinth is suffering from a problem of stunted spiritual growth. Whereas they should have at this point been demonstrating a level of spiritual maturity, they were in fact acting like babies in Christ, such that their behavior was more reflective of the, the wisdom of the world and the ways of the flesh as opposed to the, the wisdom of God and the way of the Spirit. And what he says here serves to give us encouragement and hope to those who earnestly desire but perhaps are struggling to grow spiritually, but it also serves as a warning and a rebuke to those who are content to just drift along in the undercurrent of worldliness or who think they are mature and take pride in that when maybe they're actually living more in the ways of the world. And so having already addressed the difference between the foolishness and the, and the futility of worldliness compared to the wisdom and power of God found in Jesus Christ crucified, Paul comes and reminds us again at the end of chapter 2 of the condition that's necessary for spiritual growth. In verses 14 to 16, he distinguishes between what he calls the natural person and the spiritual person. The condition that enables spiritual growth begins with our being spiritual people, which means being indwelt by God's, inhabited by God's spirit. Now, the distinction Paul's making here is between that of, of unbeliever and believer. The natural person, as Paul speaks of here, is, is just that. 
they're a person living according to their earthly nature. It's not that the natural person, um, excuse me, it's the person who's operating according to their nature and their natural understanding and their abilities since their nature is, is void of the Spirit of God. Therefore, Paul says, this person does not accept the things of God. He says the wisdom and the ways of God are foolish to the natural mindset, to the thinking that is confined to and constrained by our own human understanding and worldly wisdom. And Paul says he doesn't just not accept those things, but he cannot rightly discern them. It's not that, that a person that doesn't have the spirit of God cannot hear and understand the words of, of, of God's truth or the concepts or that he does not have access to the truth of God, is that he cannot, he cannot accept and value those things as truth. He cannot assess and judge life and reality in light of that truth because he doesn't have the spiritual ability to do so. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Pride and sin and self-reliance and the deception of Satan, it keeps us in bondage to our sinful nature and blind to the truth of God in the gospel. Now, this inability doesn't necessarily remove our culpability. The truth of God is there, and because of, because of sin and, and, and our own pride and self-reliance, the natural man suppresses that truth. He doesn't want to receive it and accept it. It's kind of like a baby still in the womb who cannot comprehend or grasp the realities and the truth of life outside the womb. He possesses all the faculties to do so, but he is confined. He is constrained by his natural environment. Something has to change. He needs to be set free to be liberated by birth into this new life and new world that opens up to him. And likewise, the natural man needs to be born again of the Spirit. To have the Spirit of God breathe life, spiritual life, such that now we, we see and we hear and we understand the things of God as they truly are. And Paul says the spiritual person can now, can now judge all things in light of that, that reality, that truth. That word judge in verse 15 is the same word translated discerned in verse 14. The natural man cannot judge, he cannot discern life according to God's truth because, because it's spiritually discerned. But the, the spiritual man can discern, can, can investigate, to, can appraise all things because he now has the ability to do so. We can now understand the things freely given us by God and can interpret the truths of God because we have the Spirit of God. Again, over in 2 Corinthians, Paul says... But God, who said, let, us shine, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so when God sends his, his spirit into our hearts, when we come to faith in Christ and our, our hearts are renewed and our eyes are open, it's like a switch is thrown on. And suddenly we can, we can, we can see things. We can not only see the the darkness of our own sin and pride, but we look up and we see the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ and his death for our sin and the, the redemption that is there. And our, our minds and our hearts are opened up to a whole new realm. 
We begin to see things in the light of God's truth and we grow in spiritual discernment, in spiritual understanding such that our minds become more and more like Christ's and our lives reflect more and more the person of Christ. And thus when we assess the value of things, God even, even when they, they, they mean, when we assess and value the things of God, even when they mean uh, death to pride and self, we see them rightly and we enter into them. So the condition necessary for spiritual growth is the life of the Spirit of God in us. In Christ, God has given us all we need for life and godliness by the power of His Spirit at work. However, such growth doesn't just come naturally. It doesn't just come automatically, I should say. When we receive Christ in His Spirit, while we have the capabilities for spiritual maturity, there is still growth that needs to happen. There is still progress that needs to move forward. We have to engage in that process. God, God calls us to live in light of the reality of who we are as saints and the reality of what we will be perfected in Christ. But in this time, the now and not yet, we are to, to press on and pursue and grow in Christ's likeness. The Corinthians, who took pride in their spirituality and saw themselves as mature in Christ, were actually acting anything but spiritual or mature in the way they were living. So having reminded them again of the condition necessary for spiritual growth, Paul goes on to point out the causes that are hindering that spiritual growth. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is hearkening back to, to when he first came to, to Corinth. And he's using the word spiritual here in a slightly different sense than he's just used it at the end of chapter 2. He reaffirms the fact that when, when he came to Corinth, they indeed received the gospel of Christ. And through the work of the Spirit, they were united with Christ. He calls them here brothers. He speaks of them as babes in Christ. And in that sense, they were spiritual people. It's not a matter of Paul thinking that the Corinthians weren't Christians. But in practical terms, in the living out of that reality, the Corinthians were not living as believers. They were still little babes in Christ. And so Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were, you were, ready, you were not ready for it. You think about it, when a baby is born, what do they need? They need milk, right? Not meat and potatoes. Their digestive system is not developed enough to process solid foods. They don't have the capacity, they don't have the teeth to chew and, and capacity to swallow solid things. So those early months of growth and development are fueled by this nutrient-rich, digestible stuff called mother's milk. And when Paul came to Corinth, he came knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. He came and served up the simple and essential truth of the gospel. And it was life-giving. It was spiritually nourishing for these new believers, young in the spirit as they were. And brothers and sisters, we always need the nutrient-rich milk of the gospel. We always need that. We should always, as 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that we, by it we may grow up into salvation. 
But if we live only on milk without moving on to to solid food, which is for the mature, then we will, as the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, we will remain as children. We will remain unskilled in the words of righteousness and immature in the faith. And that's what was happening at Corinth. What was understandable, what was even expected in, in spiritual infancy has now become a problem. While it's good to be childlike in our faith, it's not good to be childish. And that's what Paul says is happening here. The cause of this is that they have remained characterized and influenced primarily by the flesh. Paul uses two different forms of that word here, flesh. He says that when I first came to you, even though you were spiritual, I had to address you as fleshy people. The Greek word there is sarkinos. When a baby is born, they start to grow. They still are literally very fleshy, aren't they? (laughs) Literally, they pump up. Their their flesh grows. They become these big soft things as as they develop and grow. And they just do things that you expect a baby to do because they're babies. So they cry and they spit up and they don't sleep when they should. And they're just acting like baby because, because that's what they are. They're still very fleshy. But Paul says now, after a number of years of growing in Christ, he says, you are still acting fleshly. The word there is sarkikos. And that little change in that word means now you are are still characterized by the flesh. You You are still defined by the ways of the flesh. You are not just fleshy, you are fleshly, we might say. Now, when they should be progressing past that that fleshiness or worldliness of spiritual infancy, they are still acting like babies. Their lives are now characterized and motivated by the things of the flesh. Well, how do we know? Because Paul says it's showing up in the way you act together. They are still jealous and, and strife is going on. They are quarreling with each other. They're fighting among themselves, breaking up into little cliques and groups based on who's favorite leader is better or who is smarter or who is richer or who is more spiritual or has greater gifts there is discord there is disunity in a church kind of like a bunch of older siblings arguing over their toys when they should be sharing and serving together as a family so what are the causes that are inhibiting their growth well one is that they're too easily giving in to the influences of the world and the flesh when we come to Christ, there, uh, there, there's this battle that continues on. The Spirit of God comes, we believe the gospel, the war against sin and death is won, and victory is assured, but there's still a lot of battles to be fought with our sin nature. And so there's this, this battle going on between the, the, the nature of the flesh and the nature of the Spirit. And Paul talks about this again over in Romans 7 and Romans 8, the experience of that. We still struggle against lust or greed or pride or envy or anger or despair or pleasure. And if those things are continually given ground in our life, they will hinder our growth and they will, uh, the, the growth and the influence of God's truth and grace in our lives. And they will stunt our spiritual development. When a baby is born, again, there's all the potential for development into maturity, but there's a lot of growth that still needs to happen. And so as our children grow, what do we do? We we encourage them with healthy, good, productive things. We we teach them uh, in in ways that will, will be 
good and right for them. And there are also still lots of negative and harmful behaviors and actions and attitudes that if they're not taught about those or corrected in those areas, they'll, they'll naturally continue to give in to the worldly influences on into adulthood. Some of us here know that. Some of us here have experienced that. Some of you may be dealing with issues or influences as adults that have remained in your life from childhood. Maybe it wasn't even your, your fault, but you still struggle to be free from those things. And the Spirit of Christ comes and sets us free and enables us to grow and overcome. But if we keep just giving in to those influences and resign ourselves to remain there, if we just continue in our old ways, we will not see or experience the growth that God desires and designs to do in us. Now again, this does not happen overnight. And for some, battles with the flesh are maybe less heated or easier overcome than for others. But for some, they are intense and they are overwhelming. And that is why I said there is encouragement here for those of us who struggle to grow in the faith. God is for us. God has given us what we need. He is at work in us. And there's a, a victory in persevering against the worldly ways in our lives. But continually giving in to those influences such that we remain in the flesh rather than in the spirit of the spirit is a cause for spiritual malnourishment. The Corinthians still prized and upheld and lived according to the, to the values of the world such that it prevented them, prevented them from embracing the true and, and godly values of Christ. While their hearts may have been changed, their habits remained the same and that prevented their hearts and their lives from growing in grace. And as a result, they did not expand their appetite for the spiritual things of God. Remember when our four sons were growing up, they grew from babies to little boys to young men, and we could not keep food in the house. As their bodies grew, so did their appetites. Kathy learned to shop at every store in town, getting all the savings because it felt like we were just on one continuous feeding frenzy in our home. But we had to direct that desire and those appetites as well. We didn't just stock up on ice cream and bread and sweet things and milk, though we had lots of those things. We also had to cult cultivate an appetite for healthy things and encourage them to expand their diet to cover all the major food groups. <laughs> And yes, we always went through tons of milk. And that continued to fuel their growth. But they had to learn to eat other things, and sometimes they didn't really like that. But it was good, and eventually, over time, began to enjoy and to pursue and crave those things. Spiritual growth means continually hungering and thirsting for the things of God, seeking to take in not just knowledge, but to take in wisdom, to take the things that... that we grow in the, in the word of God and apply them in our lives. Often when we first come to Christ, that hunger is palpable. We want to know everything. But there's always a danger of losing your appetite for spiritual food. That can come by either trying to, to choke down too much before you are, are ready to digest it. Or it can come from simply being content with milk and having no desire 
for greater things. Either way, growth will be stunted. The danger of, a, of the first is that a person becomes discouraged. We might read or hear something from Scripture that, that is hard to understand or doesn't make sense, or we're wrestling with how this applies in our life, and, and rather than press into that, we might just say, ah, oh, I'm never going to understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just going to not deal with it. I'm just going to give up. The danger of the second is that we just become lazy. We don't want to wrestle with the hard things, and so we just skip over or tune out those aspects of the faith that, that aren't what we want to hear or that cause us to struggle in a particular area of application. But again, either one leads to spiritual mal malnourishment. So there may be some of you here who are new believers or young in the faith, and what you need is, is milk, and that's okay. God says, don't be discouraged. Childlike faith means trusting wholly in the things we know and understand and, and not becoming inflated or puffed up by knowledge, but keep longing for that pure spiritual milk and keep developing an appetite for greater understanding and application of God's truth. And it will come. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And maybe you're not growing because you've grown weary or you're Feasting more on the worldly fare to the neglect of spiritual food. And you wonder why you're not seeing continued change or healthy transformation in your life. Well, if we're constantly eating junk food, we'll have no desire or appetite for healthy food. And the Spirit wants to, to wean us off of, of the junk food of this world and get us back to the food and drink that leads to eternal life, which is... Christ Jesus. And some of you here, maybe you've never really tasted the sweet spiritual milk of Christ. And you're thinking, I'd like to get in on that diet. Well, God invites you to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. To ask for, for His Spirit to give you the ability to know and to grow in His grace. So we see the condition that's necessary for growth and the causes that inhibit growth. And then Paul points to the, finally to the cultivation that leads to growth. And we won't spend a lot of time here because we'll, we'll come to this again next week. But growth doesn't happen in a vacuum, nor is it something we can manufacture on our own. It comes as God works in community, in the body of Christ, through the diverse giftings of those in the body of Christ to nurture and cultivate healthy, maturing growth. In the people of God. Paul takes the, the fleshly, worldly approach that the Corinthians are taking towards the different leaders like him and Apollos, pitting them against one another, holding them up as more spiritual or wiser than one another, gathering around them to the to the discord of others. And he says, Aren't you just acting like the rest of the world? <laughs> Aren't you just acting in a in a very human, worldly way that leads to division and strife? Instead, he says, what's Apollos? <laughs> what is Paul? Who are we? We are servants. We are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. In other words, Paul says, God uses different people with different gifts to minister in different ways. And when we recognize and understand that, that they are all servants of God... 
being used by God, then our focus becomes not on those who are serving, but on God and the purposes that he has for that. If you only eat meat, your body will have plenty of protein, but you'll lack many essential vitamins. If you only exercise, when you exercise, if you only do the bench press, then you'll have massive biceps and, and pecs, but you'll probably develop back problems and end up limping around a lot. If you focus your attention solely on a particular person or a particular area of ministry or a particular doctrine or because you think that person or ministry is so much better than others, then you will miss out on the things God wants to do in and through you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't gravitate towards particular teachers or focus in particular areas of ministry or be inclined towards particular uh, theologies or traditions in the church. But we need to recognize that God uses all kinds of leaders, all kinds of teachers in the church to carry out his purposes. He uses different people with different gifts in the body of Christ, as we'll see, to build up the body, to strengthen and nourish and help us grow together towards maturity. But what matters is that it is God who is at work through those people and those gifts. We are just servants, table waiters for Christ. That's why if you have a teacher or a preacher or a leader in the church who is more concerned with their own reputation or more intent on gathering followers for their particular ministry than pointing people to Christ Jesus, you need to beware. That person may be serving themselves more than God and they will likely lead people astray. Spiritual maturity comes through those who are humbly serving God and being used by God for His purposes. And so we understand and cultivate spiritual maturity when we, when we see those that God is using in their different gifts. And when we see that we're united in one purpose together as the church. Paul says the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. They're all working towards the same goal. They all want the same result. To glorify God and be used by him to build one another up in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In moving towards spiritual maturity, God will work through different people in different ways. He will use your pastor to preach the word. He will use teachers in your small groups or in your foundations classes to strengthen your knowledge. There will be friends that you have who encourage and listen to what's going on in your life. There will be different people at different times in life that God will use in his church. And he will use you in other people's lives as well. But if we are to grow in our spiritual lives, we must always remember the united goal of all these different influences. And that is to point us to God and to glorify Him with our lives. The reward for our labors is not in the praise and adulations of those we serve, but rather it is from God who will use those labors to magnify Himself and grow His people. So we cultivate maturity by recognizing that those God uses are just His servants, and that they have a united purpose. And we move towards spiritual maturity by humbly relying not on them, but for God to work through them for growth. And that's Paul's main emphasis here. He says, look, I planted the seed. Apollos has watered it, but God's the one making it grow. 
If you get anything out of my preaching here this morning, if you read a book or anything touches your heart or you have a conversation with someone that encourages you in the faith, you can thank that person for their message, but ultimately it's God who is going to use it and make it grow and flourish in your life. He is the one who through the work of his spirit in our hearts brings forth the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And so let me end by going back to what I said earlier about encouragement and warning. First off, the encouragement. We all start off as spiritual babes. And spiritual maturity does not happen overnight. And God in his church is gathering the youngest and the oldest of saints. The most immature and the most mature of saints together in the body. It's a lifelong process of growth, taking in the nourishment of God's word, turning away from the influences of the world and the flesh, and cultivating the influence of Christ in our lives, listening and learning from those whom God God puts in our lives at different times and different ways to minister to us. And if you're just starting out on that journey of faith, don't be discouraged. There is much that you may not still understand, but God has a purpose and he will bring about spiritual growth as you pursue him and pursue his glory. And for some here, there are periods of struggles. There are growing pains that you have and that we have to go through. And we may question if there's any spiritual maturity happening. Trust in God's grace. Keep pressing on towards the goal for which Christ has redeemed us. Move towards maturity. It's not always easy. But there is progress. And now the warning. Don't be content to remain a babe in Christ. Don't just assume that once you become a Christian, you can now just sit back and relax and you know all there needs to know. Don't ever say, well, I have the gospel. I don't need anything else. In one sense, that is true. But the gospel is more than just one thing. It's all of what God is doing in us. And there's constant growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And it is a battle. And the rebel forces of this world and the flesh are constantly on the tack. If you allow their influence to continually hammer away, if you don't cultivate an an appetite for the things of God in his world, if you are more concerned with pride and self-exaltation than with humble pursuit of and dependence upon God together with his people, then not only will you not grow in the faith, But you will not know the blessing and richness that is found in growing in Christ. And you will bring harm to the body of Christ. You will live and experience life as mere humans. As well, don't mistake human wisdom for spiritual maturity. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Spiritual fruit is born out of spiritual maturity. When we see the deeds of the flesh at work in our life, that will expose the danger of stunted growth. We need to repent of that and turn and ask God to give us the fruit of His work in our lives. And if you're here today and you haven't yet trusted Christ, and just because you've been coming to church for a long, long time, I don't take that for granted. Let me invite you to begin that new life today by asking God to enable you to know and to grow and to understand in his, his purpose and plan of grace for you in Christ.
Ask him right now to give you that pure spiritual milk of the gospel. Let that start you on a life of growing in his grace and his knowledge and his love through his son Jesus Christ and by the work of his spirit in his church. And we can rest assured that he who begins a new work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So may God make the fruit of his spirit continue to grow in you and in us as the body of Christ as we humbly trust Christ as Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are on a journey. And it's a journey to glory. But it's a journey that will not be completed in this life until you return. And so on that journey, we still wrestle. And we still battle. And we still face the forces that would like to stunt our spiritual growth. That would like to weigh down and burden us on the race in which we have entered. Father, I pray that you would do the work of your spirit in us. Help us to discern the things of God, to hunger and thirst for your word and for righteousness, and to live in a way that reflects the growth and the maturity of your spirit at work in us, that we might be more like Christ in our own lives And together as the church, as we exhibit and as we testify to your goodness and your grace to the world around us. And we pray that you would do this in us in Christ Jesus. Amen.